And we're off. And we're off. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yeah. Back for another one. Someday we will get an intro. Someday we'll get an intro. Welcome back to Gregorian Rant. My name is Father Brian Lurkin. And I am Patrick Deveni. Patrick Deveni. So we, uh, if you're new to the podcast, we started this uh, as a way to just, hey, you're two friends. One who's a priest and one who's a sort of recent convert talking about things that matter in life and about the Catholic faith. Um, and yeah, two good looking guys. I think it's, we need to clarify. I'm not, I'm not the priest. Yes, that's true. Okay. I mean, yeah. I just want to make sure we're clear moving forward and, uh, the role that we play in that scenario. Um, I also want to take a minute. I've, I've been fact checked. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I have. By me or somebody else? No. By multiple people. It's the first time that <laughs> yeah. I, uh, in our... Hey, welcome in, to the club, man. <laughs> in the yeah. history. But this is funny. This is actually really awesome. Okay. Uh, I've had several people reach out to me on a recent episode that aired. And I made reference to the sloths working at the DMV. Yes. And I believe I said it was monsters. I, like Monsters Inc. <laughs> or Monsters, Monsters University. What a, yeah. Something like that. And... And out of all the things that I've said thus far, this is definitely the one that is the first and most like uh, I've gotten hit up several times. And it was actually I stand corrected. And I I believe I said I'm not sure. And I didn't feel like it was right saying monsters, but it was Zootopia. Which that's a thing. That is a thing. It's a phenomenal movie. And I just have to uh, acknowledge everyone that wrote me <laughs> to clarify <laughs> that it was not monsters. It was actually Zootopia. I have not seen that. Oh, it it's worth it. Worth it is a hundred percent worth it. Okay. It is a phenomenal movie. Um, and I and it's feel like bad. Pixar, I butchered it. Like, yeah, it's a cartoon. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's actually really good. Zootopia. Yeah. When you said that, do you remember the U2 album? Zuropa? I'm not a big U2 guy. Oh man. That was the worst album ever, but it came after their best album. So they had Joshua oh. tree and then they had uh, Octoon Baby. And those are phenomenal albums. How can you not like U2? I mean, I just felt like I was more of a Matchbox 20 kind of guy. Um, those are different like genres, I feel like. Sort of. I mean, I felt like it was somewhat on the alternative station. But U2 was just kind of like, I wanted to be different. I wanted to be my own me, you know? I wanted to be my own me. That leads to our topic today. Of I want to be my own me. Here we go. Wow. Did you really just say that? I want to get me me, you know? Yeah. I want to, I want to be my own self. Yeah. Um, you got any shout outs or anything? You two was just too mainstream. They were, they were mainstream because they were so good. So I, you know, how you go through phases in music. I've recently been on a little bit of a U2 kick from the Joshua Tree days. Interesting. And that album is so good. It's one of those albums, you know, where there's like, there's not a bad song yeah. on the album. Yeah. So good. And for all of you Generation Z folks out there, uh, if you don't know you 2 you can't be a Catholic. Um, so go, just kidding. But you should go listen to them. <laughs> They're super good. What do you got for shout outs? Um, I don't know that I have any. Okay. That's fair. Um, well, How about Father Peter Musset? How about that? Oh, love that guy. That's, I was, that is going to play into today. Is it really? I think so. Well, he, uh, so Father Peter Musset is the uh, pastor of St. Thomas Aquinas in Boulder. And we were together at a meeting of priests, which is 
what more do you want out of life right. than to go to a meeting of priests? Right? Sorry, I had that conference call. I couldn't make it. Yeah, Can you imagine? <laughs> it's so funny. I laugh when I go to these things because we've got, there's like a hundred priests, you know, all together in the archbishop. And it's just kind of like funny looking around. I'm like, we're kind of a strange group of dudes. We're a little, <laughs> we're like, we're a little strange. Uh, but I sat with Father Peter and he is just, he is just such a good man. He is such an amazing priest. Him and, uh, my friend Scott Powell are doing great things. Lanky Guys podcast. They've got a great podcast. Uh, they're doing good things in Boulder. They're evangelizing, uh, teaching the truth up there. Good Which stuff. has to be such an easy job in a place like Boulder. Oh, totally. Might as well be Franciscan. Yeah. No, it's like good can- for him. It's Candyland. That's right. <laughs> right? Take candy yeah. from a baby up there. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's, in some ways, it's good, though, because the battle is so clear up there. We, right. to, we had a lot of people in focus who came out who were super strong in their faith. And I think part of it was, and this actually lends into something that Bishop Barron, I want to bring up, but that the lines were clear. Sometimes when it's all, everything blends together, totally. it's like, okay, well, who cares if you're Catholic or not? Everybody basically is just the same. When I was at CU, the lines were so clearly drawn and it was a clear choice of like, do you want to live like this? Do you want to follow God? Do you want to try to pursue chastity and righteousness and these kinds of things? or are you just going to go to parties constantly and try to have as much pleasure as you can? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, Steph's little sisters, Paige and Julia, there's a shout out. Um, hearing kind of their experience. I mean, obviously my, I guess contrasting it to my own experience at CU. Um, I, I am just so impressed with father Peter Yeah. and, and in a very clear, um, like you're saying the, the lines are definitely drawn in a place like Boulder, but he just does a phenomenal job and thinks outside the box with what he does as far as trying to get students engaged. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's a tough demographic to hit. Yep. And, and really, I think this, it's so funny how sometimes we just naturally lead into our, our topic, but it, it's so natural. It's so natural. It's, just, it's, like oh, it's so, not scripted at all. It's like, I'm not wearing any makeup today. That's right. Like, it's just so natural. We did switch roles. You are wearing um, the hat because I right. am, and I'm definitely not for a YouTube definitely audience. Not. Hey, hey, smoky, <laughs> smoky. Um, <laughs> but but no, I, I think it. Uh, yeah, I think that's a phenomenal shout out because he does great stuff in a very man. Talk about a spot in a world of cancel culture and all of that of what you say will be viral instantly, especially in a place like Boulder. And he just does a great job of reaching a lot of young um, Catholics in a very difficult place. Amen. Amen. Uh, So like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to dive right into this. It's time for a topic. Um, Shout out again, which was actually my other shout out, but uh, John Dahlstrand sent me this article. And Do I know John? It's uh, Steph's uncle. Oh, yes, yes. You've mentioned him. And um, I really kind of found it fascinating. And, it, and in a way, it's not necessarily, I think the, the study itself and the way they went about it is unique. But Bishop Barron has been talking for a while on this concept of nuns and yes. not the religious life. Yep. But nuns being the Gen Z kind of our youth of today. And I, you know, I think you can see this across the board more so than just the youth. But this study from the crux, um, and it says the study shows young younger people lack faith in religious institutions. And 
it's a pretty interesting and can somewhat be overwhelming article from the standpoint of the stats are showing that we are losing more people than we are gaining into the right. church for a lot of reasons. But yeah, I mean, not exactly a newsflash, right? Correct. Like we all kind of know this. We definitely do. But I, it's kind of funny though, like being the new guy in the room recently being converted and kind of having sometimes fresh eyes and you and I talk about this all the time, but I think it's yeah. a good opportunity for us to talk about it fresh off this study is it's kind of like everyone's spinning in a hamster wheel and they're like, man, we're losing so many people and we got to do this. And then as kind of the new guy, I'm like, I, I don't know if you guys know, that's not really attractive. Like that's not, it's not working. So then yeah. you got to balance. How do you not water down the faith, but then also not become super, um, like strict and rigorous and like it's, there's an art to it, which there's a huge art, yeah. which not to, again, I hate this. I hate this about my job to applaud you and what you've done. I mean, Primarily because that's right. Stop. <laughs> because Stop it. <laughs> you brought me in, right? Like between you and Steph and and her mom, but I had a a nice team around me that that did that. But you have built something here at Our Lady of Lords that really is a great entryway to the faith and bringing people in, and really have held firm in the church's teachings. But we also contrast a lot between, again, going back to the premise of this podcast. How do we? how do we reach the people that live in that high rise downtown that are just living life for pleasure, but then also balance a lot of the super, like super strict Catholics right. uh, that are debating right. mass needs to be all in Latin and all these kind of fundamental ideas. So right. um, it's a super interesting study. Again, not totally shocking, but there's a lot of different points to discuss in that whole, whole yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. And there's a big question today about how do we reach these nuns? So if you don't know what a nun is, I can tell you a nun joke. It's really bad. Please do it. Yes, but this is, here's a shout out to uh, Dr. Ben Akers, which this might embarrass him. <laughs> this is back when he was leading my Bible study my senior year of college. And so this is, gosh, that's 20 years ago. Um, but he used to tell the joke where he would say, he would ask, is it a sin for a priest to kiss a nun? What would you say? I mean, I guess. Yeah, his his line was, not unless he gets in the habit. <laughs> and if you don't get that, it's probably better you're pure of heart or you don't know. Or you don't understand the, the get up of yeah, so, so the wardrobes. A nun, <laughs> their religious garb is called a habit. And so it's a pun on the word habit, but... So not unless he gets in the habit, which yeah. is pretty, it's not that inappropriate. I mean, it's, it's somewhat inappropriate. It's entertaining. Not, not really though, but if that's, yeah. if that's the worst thing you hear today, you probably live a pretty sheltered life. That's right. But we love you. Anyway, so uh, one of the things I uh, want to talk about, one of the things that's happening today, and I, I think we'll, there's a number of places this can go, um, but how do we evangelize these people, these nuns? So we don't mean N-U-N, uh, we mean N-O-N-E. And a nun is someone who they're asked, hey, what religion are you? And they, they're the options are, you know, Buddhist, Christian, Muslim, Jewish. And they say none of the above. Yep. That's a nun. And so that, that's how kind of they, they perceive themselves. That's how they identify. Um, and there's a lot of different kind of things this can be associated with. Oftentimes people want to be spiritual. 
but not religious. Um, a friend of mine who is again an abrasive character, Matt Smaby, he used to say when people would say I'm spiritual but not religious, he would respond. He would say, "Well, I find you interesting, but not really." <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, that's a jerk thing to say. Like, you're <laughs> kind of valid though. You're a total jerk. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just always want to say, what does that mean? But yeah. But how do we reach these people? And how is the church? Why is it that the church is not attractive to so many young people today? Uh, whether that's legitimate or just perceived, um, there's a lot of things that have played to this. We've had the sex abuse crisis yep. in the church. Um, I think it's actually deeper than that. I think that certainly has played a role and that has set us back when the, um, when the second round of the sex scandals hit, I remember being so depressed cause I was like, we've worked so hard at Lords to try to reach people. And I was, I just thought, Oh, this is going to set us back 10 years, you know? Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's one thing that's happened. But I think there's just an interesting question. So why don't we start with why in your kind of like just previous life out there and with your friends now, maybe who aren't Catholic, what, what do you think is keeping people from embracing a Christian, like a church, especially a Catholic church? What are the obstacles? Well, I was thinking about this kind of driving in today and... <clears throat> I feel, and I feel like you have to preface this with, to your point, there's the scandals. There's also, and again, this is just off the cusp by which, I mean, I, my mom has passed away, so I can't necessarily ask her, but my mom grew up in a very Catholic family. Yep. Okay. And I say that in quotations. Okay. Because it was very much like I grew up with, my mom always just kind of told me the story of the nun with a ruler. Yep. Like the real nun with the ruler. She went to all girl cat. The N O N E with the ruler. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they have like a smartphone. That's, yeah, exactly. Smartphone um, and she went to all girl Catholic high school and kind of like on paper and on Sundays, you know, they went in their suit and tie and what, you know, dressed up and, and they, they checked the marks in the San Francisco and the Italian Catholic community. Right. Um, but I also know that my grandfather was an alcoholic. He was abusive verbally and physically. And oh, wow. behind the scenes, it was very heavy. And then you add in pre-scandals and you add in all this other stuff that, and then you add in, I mean, you've talked about before, but sexual revolution and all these things um, that created a really bad image of what faith means. And again, that's, uh, you look at societies just back in time and you think, man, everyone was Catholic and it was kind of perceived that way. But then what you say versus what you do is very different. Yeah. And, and so I think you have to keep that in mind when you are saying like, well, why, why are people so against the church or not even just Catholicism, but Christianity or any kind of religion? Yeah. Because what happens and, and to get to your question is, mainstream world today you know you have so many life coaches selling you success tips yep. on vain things you're not really learning anything it's like how to be more successful how to make more money how to do all this stuff yet you're you, we're living in an era we're more depressed more confused more yep. everything but we have more people selling this but it's a it's a more appealing sell than the faith journey of you know again going back to the father peter and boulder of go out and party and live this crazy life and do your thing yeah. and get your degree and go make a ton of money and do more of that with more money. Yep. And 
this concept of faith when again, and, and I, so there's that. And then you have people that are so adamant about their faith and want, they know it's the truth and they know it's beautiful, but then there's a, it's kind of like when you're, you're dating a girl and you're like, I have a lot of experience with that. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But I will tell you yeah. not a good look when you're, you're truly, you love this girl and you want to pursue her and this and that, but you go straight into it. Like you've kind of, you make that joke all the time of like on your first date, are we yeah. going to name our kid, our third kid, Brian, Brian yeah. or Brianna. Yeah. And you, yeah. you come out the gate so strong or, and then, you come out in the gate so strong in defending your faith of like, this is why we talk about abortion and you mean so well, but it, it is butchered and you're not really walking with people because people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And it is so going back to what we said in the beginning, it's an art trying to get to that point. Yeah. Um, and really just kind of having the patience and understanding it's a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. I mean, I agree with all of that. <clears throat> I think, um, I think there's one thing there's like, there's a big thing in my mind that ties all of this together and really answers this. I think that that article from crux now yeah. had a great point about the Catholics need to learn is that evangelization is about relationship. Yep. And it talked about that. Yeah. It talked about how these nuns, these younger tend to be younger people that when you survey them, what they want is that they don't need a perfect answer. They need to be, they need, they're going to open up if they have a relationship with someone. Focus has nailed this campus crusade, which now kind of goes by, um, crew. Yep. That's what they're based on. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just say, let's sit down and here's, here's a catechism of 20 different truths. You have to get to that eventually, but he didn't start there. He right. starts with relationships. But here's the thing I think that really, I think, could tie a lot of the problem together in the church right now is um, story. The church has forgotten, and the, the world around us, because we've forgotten it, the church has forgotten her story. I'm, conv I'm utterly convinced of this. And I think people who are both more liberal and more conservative, again, I don't like using those terms within the church as much. Yeah. But they're shorthand, they're helpful. We all kind of know what they mean at least. Um, but people on all sides of that spectrum, we've all forgotten the story. And so what we do is we fixate on morality. And that's just unattractive. What do you mean by the story? So um, there's a couple of really cool kind of things with this. Um, but think of it this way. So... Uh, one of the things I used to like to tell people is if you went, if you came to my house and um, I actually remember doing this at one point to somebody, but when I was a, my first year of seminary, I made a slideshow. I took all of my family's old photos and I went through boxes and boxes and scanned all these old photos. And for my parents for Christmas and the rest of my family, I made a family slideshow and my family loved it. Like it's like their favorite thing ever. Yeah. Uh, but if you come and watch that, if I'm like, hey, Patrick, come watch like my family slideshow. Like there's very few things that would be more boring. 
Yeah, totally. And you're supposed to sit there. It's awkward. Like, oh, yeah, it's so cute. Can we watch more of this? I can't wait. So I think I think this is what this is all. One of the one of the absolutely critical pieces of this is that inside the church, not even outside yet, not even talking to the nuns, because we can't talk to them first unless we understand it, is that we've forgotten that Christianity is, is our story. So oftentimes when we hear the Bible or when we hear these teachings, we're hearing some, we're watching someone else's slideshow. Totally. It's like you sitting down on my couch and being like, oh yeah, you know, well, that's grandma Marg and you know, (laughs) she married grandpa John. And let me tell you about, you know, when he would read his paper on Sunday mornings and you're like, how do I get out of this? Right. You know? Right. Um, And I think story is so critical because if we lose story, what happens is when you talk to people out in the world and when we, and with ourselves is that we, um, Christianity becomes moralism and that's what's happening today. Where does the world disagree with us? All we ever talk about is gay marriage, transgenderism, abortion, these kinds of things. And that's all we debate about. And everyone just kind of sits and they say, do I really agree with this? Do I not? And guess what? We're going to lose that battle because people are so heavily influenced by the culture they live in. Right. And what the Bible is not, you know, um, the Bible is not a rule book. It's not what it is. Right. Um, and I think we used to say when, when I was in focus, we used to say that the church has had amnesia. She's just kind of forgotten who she is. And I think this is what's happening in so many corners of Catholicism. You know, you and I talk about it all the time. But I think, you know, the the church is more on the left. They're like, let's push for women priests and let's push for uh, recognition of same-sex marriage, married priesthood, blah, 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 blah. Um, and people on the right are like, let's talk about Latin in the liturgy and let's, uh, let's talk about gold patents and let's talk about, you know, whatever else. And <clears throat> I think the thing that rescues us from getting lost in these things is the story of how God redeemed the world. And so Christianity is not a set of moral doctrines. It has moral teaching, but that's not what it is. It's a story of how God loved the world. He created it good. It fell into um, sin, and sin corrupted God's good creation. And the story of Jesus Christ is the story about how the world was redeemed. And when we forget that, then we just, we just obsess about rules. Totally. And the rules have a place. I don't want to dismiss them. They have a place. One of the things I say all the time is, you've heard me say this, I know priests who, they just talk about morality constantly. And there's, there's one priest um, who I know, and I don't know if he really said this, but it, supposedly he says he only preaches on morality. Well, the Catechism of the Catholic Church has four pillars. Right. Morality is the third pillar, and it's third for a reason, because the story comes first. Um, okay, I'm going off now, but do you see what I'm getting at with the story kind of thing? Totally. Well, I think again, when you, when you, you mentioned it about the culture is going to win, right. And that's, you're inundated with culture for 23 hours of the day, especially on a Sunday where, you know, you go to your one hour of mass, right. And then you're right back into the thick of it or for someone that's not, or even in these other churches, um, You know, I think you see some of these gigantic mega, call them the Walmart sized churches that have the fog machines and this and that. But then you have a, you know, they'll, they'll pay Tim Tebow $250,000 to come do a, you know, a 
a talk and he's up there in his skinny jeans and, you know, cool outfit and this and that. And you just, you have to kind of understand the complexity of when you come in with too much moral and again, going back to the poor usage, but, or like unfortunate usage, but conservative side of it, it is not inviting. And when we're inundated with all of these studies and all these nuns, um, yep. you know, it, <laughs> you can't water down the faith, but you also have to try to pick what's important and how to like build that relationship to then teach the teachings. Yep. If you come out too strong with so much aggressiveness and like, this is what we believe and blah, blah, blah. It's falling on deaf ears. Not only on deaf ears, it's falling on people. You're pushing people further away than it ever is going to actually resonate with someone. Yeah. And I think, but I think this is exactly how it fits into story is because like you and I talked one time, I remember. So if you, if I tell a kid like, Hey, you know what? You should really be courageous. They, they might agree with you and be like, Hey, and like, like with so many of Christian teachings and we hear this all the time, right? With nuns, why do I have to be religious? Right. Like if, and the, the, the common misconception is religion's about morality and, and religion teaches people to be nice, but you know what? I know lots of nice people who aren't religious. Totally. I know lots of good people who aren't religious Yep. and that's absolutely true. So why do I need religion? Because we've made religion about being nice. And remember we would talk about, so you could tell a kid, Hey, it's better. It's better for you to be courageous than cowardly, lame, boring. And I think the way we have to reach the nuns of the world is we've got to remember that all of us crave a story. Story is a category that gives meaning to life. So the better thing to tell a kid is the story of the Iliad. And so in the Iliad, right, you have, you have these massively courageous uh, figures and you have somewhere that are really cowardly. And instead of them telling them to behave a certain way, you show them and it inspires them. Right. And so Hector, right at the end of the Iliad, is the hero of Troy. And Hector, uh, the, uh, the Greeks are about to destroy the city of Troy. And Achilles is Superman, right? Like no one can defeat Achilles. And Hector, uh, at the end of the book, Hector goes out to sacrifice himself because he loves his city and his family. Now you could say, I could say to a kid, Hey, be, you know what? Be, uh, you should be self-sacrificial. It doesn't inspire anybody, but if you show them the way that Hector was, it's like, wow, that's, I want to be like that. Totally. And I think what's happened today is we tell people to live a certain way, but we don't tell the story. Right. And so there's nothing worth being truthful about, right? Or like Priam in that story, Priam is Hector's father, King Priam of Troy. <clears throat> and he's even more courageous because they won't, they won't bury, they won't give the funeral rites to, and these are pagans to Hector. And at the end of the book, spoiler alert, Priam sneaks through the enemy camp to beg the man who killed his son for his son's body. And he humbles himself before his enemy because he loves his son. Yeah. And it's like, those are the kind of things where it's like, if we tell the story of Jesus, right? And this is where Catholics, I think, get it wrong. And so many religious people get it wrong. Is that people want a story. And like right now, for instance, I think so much of cancel culture and 
so much of what's happening in the world is people have a story of like, well, life is kind of meaningless, but you know what? I want to make the world a better place. I want to get rid of racism in our culture. I want to get rid of sexism. I want to be a more tolerant universe. And the reason they're doing that is because we haven't given them the better story, which is not just a world that's a little bit you know, more tolerant, which is good, depending on what you mean by that word. Um, but generally, that's a good thing. There's a better story out there. There's a story about a world that is going to be redeemed and brought to heaven for eternity, but we haven't been telling that story. Totally. We've just been telling people to stop having abortions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, um, I think two things. One, there is so much power in a third person story. Like going and sitting down with someone and saying like, your life is not good. Like you need to be doing this and that. All of a sudden your walls go up. And yeah. if you have the ability and your point to use the Iliad or use Jesus yep. or use some other story that is not directly pointed at someone where someone's going to take it defensively right. and instead can sit back and kind of with an open arms, just kind of be like, wow, it's really interesting. I get it. And then somehow that, that allows them to let it resonate in their own life and be like, oh my gosh, that's literally me. Yeah. Like that is my story. And then all of a sudden, boom, floodgates open. Tell me more. Boom. You come in with like, you're doing this wrong, blah, 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 blah. Instantly you're like, dude, get out. Like yeah. <laughs> you're, and you're a Christian. Like that's how you like perceive that. Um, something I think you and I've talked about that I find it's, it's almost like so aggravating now, especially when I've been, uh, I was so involved in like the LA scene and you know, that self-help gurus and whatnot, but I've been obsessed with the book and I, and this was so interesting that. <laughs> Is it the book I'm thinking of? Yeah. Right, yes. Yeah. But it's, uh, <laughs> forgive me here and I'll leave it out. But the book is actually called the subtle art of not giving a, bleh. but what's so frustrating reading that now kind of having the lens of Christianity yeah. is he is Mark Manson is not. And I, I love him. I think he does a phenomenal that's the author of the book. That's the author. Um, he does a phenomenal job yeah. of uh, trying to, <laughs> trying to explain life's values and what's really important. Yep. But what was, what's so frustrating is looking back and being like, he is not teaching anything new. He's a New York times yeah. bestseller and he is spearheading this whole thought process, which is great. But that is literally what the old Testament taught. Like yeah. it's not, I mean, it is like, this has been around. These concepts have been around for so long. Right. But what are we doing wrong? And I think it's your point of we're not using stories to explain that to to really draw people in. And instead, some guy is like literally taking church teachings. Let's not be racist. Let's not be blah, 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 blah. Uh, the, the church has taught that for 2000 years. Like, yeah. But when we come out the gate so strong in morality, we lose that. And instead, morality is being taught in different ways. Yeah. That is a disservice to the church. I think, I think in some ways like the term moralism is the reduction of the story just to morality. Yeah. And morality matters. Like, you know, we're, we're trying to hold the tension here, but, but story does that. I feel like. Yeah. And this, this is why Hollywood just works, right? Like why, why do we, why do we spend so much money on movies? Right. And why do we pour money into these production studios? Why do we do that? And why do people love Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter? And I'm out of it. So I don't, I'm always like 10 years behind and probably more like 20. 
So what's, what, I don't know what the big movies are. Zootopia. Stuff. Zootopia. <laughs> <laughs> Sloths at the yeah. is it DMV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, if you work at the DMV, we love you, but you have a bad reputation. Man. Um, but yeah, it's like, why do these things do so well? Because we were made for it. So there's, there's a great, do you remember the book um, Night by Elie Wiesel? No. Did you ever read that one? No. It's a very famous Holocaust book. Okay. Um, and so Elie Wiesel, um, I had to read that, I think in high school, maybe college, maybe both, but a very famous book. And he quotes, um, a rabbi in the intro of that that has one of my favorite lines about story. And he's, and it's, it always sounds like a bad joke, but it's actually like the way that a lot of Jewish, uh, rabbinic literature works. But one rabbi asks another, he says, why did God create the world? And it's not a joke. And the other rabbi responds and he says, because he loves stories. And we, stories are written in our hearts. We all love a good story and we have to retell the story. We have the, we have the best story yeah. that has ever existed and people are so hungry for meaning. And I think, so these um, nuns out there, right? One of the things that I hear all the time is stats about these nuns is that they're taking lower paying jobs and they're, they're seeking nonprofits why? Because they want to know that their life matters. That's right. And they want to know that they are doing something. They want a story. Yep. Right? And, and I think for us, with the, the problem with moralism, and this is a particularly, it's a human problem. <clears throat> I think Catholics tend to struggle with this more than others, is that the law comes after the, after the good news. Right? Like, and so you've heard me, excuse me, I'm just going to like burp all day here. But Jesus, right, like, and he assumes the Exodus story. And in the Exodus story, and this is the way the church thinks, is that God saves us first, and then he gives us a law, right? And so the Jews come out of Egypt. Ryan here, it's an RCIA. Like, Ryan knows this. We do this in RCIA constantly. The Jews are in Egypt. God saves them through the waters of the Red Sea. And that's in Exodus uh, 14 is the Red Sea. The law, the Jewish law begins in Exodus chapter 20 when they reach Mount Sinai 40 days or 50 days after the Passover. And, uh, we just get that wrong. Yeah. You know, and people want to know that if, if we tell people the story, the real story is that Jesus Christ is redeeming the world and he's doing that for the whole world, but he's also doing it in our lives. Millennials are going to respond to that. Yeah. And, and I, one more point, then I'm kind of riled up today. Uh, so I, am I. I was riled up on this topic. I love this topic. But I think um, one more point I would say is like, you know, people today are talking about how uh, both sides of kind of the political spectrum just ignore the facts and they fit it. They, they, like, they like the ones they like and they ignore the ones they don't like. Well, part of that is because people don't resonate just with facts. Right. They resonate with story. Yeah. Gosh, man, you're kind of crushing me here. I right when you were kind of brought up that Did you just call book, me fat? <laughs> <laughs> when when you brought that up, it was kind of in this concept of stories. It's kind of like just an example that kind of hit me was if I had, if if you're trying to talk to someone about you know finding the good in life and and just be happy and no matter your circumstances, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And if someone says that to you when you're in a really dark time, yeah. you're like, dude, go pound sand. Like I have, yeah. what the hell are you even talking about? Right. And the concept of a story, man, I got chills. But if you take someone that's in a concentration camp 
and yep. you say, hey, this is the worst thing of all time, but try to find beauty in it. I don't think that's going to land for anybody. And like, you know, you have a moral responsibility to, to find love and happiness and know that God loves you, blah, 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 blah. But then you watch a movie like A Beautiful Life. Yeah. Or A Beautiful Life or Life is Beautiful. Life is Beautiful, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, where he does that and, yeah. and you sit for two hours and he does that for his son. Yep. And all of a sudden you're starting to think to yourself, yeah, my job sucks. Like all these things that you're watching it and you're like, dude, this totally resonates with me. Yep. So I think on the flip side and kind of trying to understand what you're saying is like when you are in those exchanges with somebody else, trying to be aware of what, what story are you actually painting? Like, are you using Jesus yeah. in the right way to talk about that story of the story of the gospel, but how you're showing up and how you're acting and, and, and how that is coming across yeah. could totally derail. Like that is a story that you're creating. Um, that could totally derail any sort of progress. And then, we, and we've done that, right? hundred percent. Like, like I think in the, the pre-scandals have been a particularly damning derailer for our story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But also, but I think even more deeply, like I think, you know, so many Christians prior to the pre-scandals and Catholics particularly, what we do is we just, we just moralize. Yep. We just moralize. And again, I'm not, anyone who knows me out there, I'm not against the moral law. We have to keep it. Um, Paul will spend tons of time on this throughout the book of Romans. Um, and, uh, and he'll, he, one of his favorite phrases in Romans and Greek is meganoito, which means um, by no means. And so like Paul in Romans 7 is going to talk about, do we overthrow the law? By no means. You know, we keep the law. He'll do the same thing in 2 Corinthians. Um, but we got to tell the story first. The, the, the virtues and the, like I, I, one of the things I always say, is I'm a better man. Not when someone says, Hey, you know what, FB, like you should be really temperate. And like, you know, you've put on a few priest pounds there yeah. and uh, you should be more in shape and you should be kinder and you should be less judgmental. I'm kind of like, yeah, duh. I know that. Yeah. I've always said, I am the best man I can ever be when I have to be good for others. Totally. And so like when I have times in my life where I've been leading Bible studies and I've known the guys in my study are like, okay, like Brian, it was most of the time before I was a priest, <clears throat> I knew that these guys would look at me and they'd be like, Brian's kind of like my model for what a Christian should be. That's when I'm like, okay, I have a story. Yeah. I've got a story and it matters. And the way I live, it's not just because it's wrong to, I don't know, be intemperate or be condescending or tell lies. But actually, but I know that everyone knows that. It doesn't help much. Totally. What does help was I was like, wow, like God's redeeming the world and he's asked me to be a part of that and to help people find the good news that they are loved and that they have a mission in life. Totally. Right. And I, and I think this is just so, could be so appealing to these nuns, you know, but we got to tell the story and we've got, we have a, such a better story than the world has. And the story they're being told right in the, in the kind of secular mindset right now is that, uh, the, the great problem with the world is structures. Right. It's oppressive structures. And, you know, we could talk about that. There's probably some truth to that. But the real for the Christian, the problem isn't structures. The, for the Christian, the problem is sin inside of me. Totally. And that's and there, that right there, you've got a purpose. You have something to overcome. Uh, one more line I have to get in. This is such a great line. So G.K. Chesterton, uh, 
talking about fairy tales. This is in uh, The Everlasting Man. He has this awesome line where he says, he says, uh, fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. They tell children that dragons can be killed. Yeah. Isn't that a great line? I love that. Yeah. Fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. They tell them dragons can be killed. Totally. Which is courage, right? It's like, yeah. and you could tell children like, oh, life's tough and you should be courageous and you can overcome obstacles. Or you could tell a story about a, a brave young man or woman who kills a dragon. Yeah. L- let me ask you this. So not to prevent this from being too like, uh, it sounds great, but how do you actually make that practical? Like I'll take this on a personal level. Yep. Cause I feel like it, you know, you see it and hear it all the time of parents that their kids aren't Catholic or their best friend, brother, sister, whoever it is. And they, they want them so desperately to be follower of Christ and, and to have that relationship and know they're loved. And like in my own life, my niece right now, oh, she's in high school. And every time I get on social media, she'll be posting this photo. And I'm like, a lot of times I'm like, homegirl, what are you wearing? What in the world is that? And it's, do you want me to get on social media and say that? <laughs> leave a, leave a comment. Yeah. But, but it's kind of like, you know, I feel for it from the standpoint of like, she's wrapped up in like, oh, you know, and she's doing it in a certain way where it's like, she'll post this story and then put it to her live feed and she's trying to get more likes like it's all about the likes yeah. and she likes that attention and there's it's a lot of it's very deep yep. but like the you know knowing what i know about like that like image sells and blah 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 it's like i want to call her up and be like lose my mind and be like oh my god what are you doing yeah what put some clothes on like are you crazy you know, blah, blah, blah. But how do you kind of approach someone and really try to share that story of like, you're love. well, you don't need to do this. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of deadly afraid of that conversation because I want to be like, you're better than that. You don't need to be doing trust. It's like, it's so hard where you're like, trust me, it's not worth it. It is not worth those extra 30 creepy likes that you're about to get on Instagram yeah. from some random dude. Yep. And all you're looking for is this like total count and likes, but how do you kind of have that open up that door to have, to share that story? I mean, that's tough. I think you have to wait for the right moment. Right. I think, I think one of the things we need to have as Christians is a confidence that God is working on people's hearts and the gospel is attractive. Yeah. You know, when we actually tell the gospel the way that it is in itself, it's attractive. People People live like I was thinking of um, Victor Frankl, isn't that his name? Yeah. Man search for meaning. Yep. Yep. People, people want meaning, and if they don't have meaning in their life, they're going to be searching for it. People totally. want to have a purpose, and if they don't, I think this is maybe where your niece is at. I don't know, but I think it's the Dave Matthews song: "Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die." Yeah. Right. And if if there's no purpose. I might as well have one more drink. That's right. You know, that's right. Um, and so I, I think for us, people want to do something meaningful with their life. And I think this is where witness comes in mm-hmm. because again, if you just go to your niece and you're like, and moms and dads, grandma and grandpa out there, um, just want to tell you, you can't go to your sons or daughters, your nieces or nephews. And if, if all you ever do is tell them that they need to put on a shirt that covers more of their body, you're, you're right, and you're going to lose them. That's right. That's right. And unfortunately, I feel like that's the paradox of, you know, what we're seeing is the nuns, is there's so much good intent 
And yeah. you are right. You're hundred yeah. percent right. But the approach is not working. And I've joked about that, but I, I, I've joked from the standpoint, even my own, like this, where I get riled up and I beat this dead horse all the time. But anytime I get picked on for clothes that I'm wearing to church, right. It, it seems like a minor thing, but I, I really, and shout out to Chris Stefanik, because I, I had talked a, to him about what a, it. What a loser. That what an absolute loser. loser. Um, but <laughs> I had talked to him and I was like, Chris, like you have so much, con- first of all, you do so much great work for the church. No one is ever going to doubt that. Yeah. And Chris shows up with this confidence and wearing what he's wearing. It's like a flannel and it, you know, he's looking good. It's not like he's showing up and like rolled out of bed and walked over. And even if he did fine. Okay. We like, yeah. great. That's fantastic. But I had asked him, I was like, I am getting all the time. Like I'll wear a, a surf shirt, jeans and whatever. And he's like, your response should be it's by design. And I was like, at first I was like, uh, what does that mean? What, I'm sorry. What? But what he was, what I took it as and what he was trying to explain is it's by design to be inviting for people. Church doesn't need to be this, this atmosphere of like, you need to be in a suit and tie. And if you're right. not, you're walking down to receive the Eucharist and you're feeling all the daggers of eyesight's coming at you, judging you for what you're wearing. And it's right. like, if that's what we're focusing on, no wonder your kids aren't in the pews. Like I want to tell you otherwise, but right. if you're, if that's what you're focusing on and that's where you're losing it. And again, that's the contrast of like, how do I have this conversation with my niece of like, you're better than this. Like, how yeah. do we find that thing? But you, it's coming from a good place and you want to say like, you know, I don't know, I guess just trying to focus on the right things. And that is the story that's of the Jesus. Right there, focusing on the right things. Yeah. Right? Because what happens otherwise, it just looks, it's just petty. Right. You know, it's just like, does God really like, and I have, I have opinions about how people should dress for mass and blah, 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 blah. But what happens is subtly we start to fixate on those things. Yeah. You know? And it's like, we fixate on like people sometimes, Hey, I get pushed back on my clothing. Sometimes back when I used to wear Birkenstocks, people would ask me if I was a Franciscan. (laughs) I was like, no. <laughs> I just you know hate better wearing, than that. I just hate wearing shoes. Yeah. I don't have a monopoly. Francis can have a monopoly on sandals. <laughs> well, I feel like and this is again the 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 thing that you do so well. You gave me a story when it came to the clothing. You gave me that story from the standpoint of like you left it in my court. You didn't if you would have come to me in my early stages of being a Christian and said you're not dressed appropriately. Yep. I would have been like, great. Red rocks is down the street and homie that's up on stage has full tattoos, looks phenomenal. Like that's more welcoming. I'm going to go live my life over there. Cause you lost me. Yep. But instead the way you poised it to me and where I find that confidence in what I'm wearing is you said, yeah. and this was in an unrelated topic that landed with me where you said, when you're at mass, Imagine yourself at the foot of the cross right. and Jesus being crucified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if, and if I can, in my own mind say, yeah, I would wear this, I would wear this standing up there. Mm-hmm. I am. I don't really care what somebody else says about what they think I should be wearing. Because if that is the image of what I'm walking into mass with, so be it. And I'm okay with that. But you never came to me in a way that was like, you need to be dressed more appropriately. It was like, Hey, I'm going to put this ball in your court. I have my thoughts. That's fine. But if you can honestly say, and, and I know that all of a sudden I was like, Oh yeah, that one time I wore that thing. I could probably do better. I wouldn't probably show up to Jesus's, you know, crucifixion in that outfit. Yeah. Um, but it was very, 
it was. It was a third party story that allowed me to just kind of comprehend it, sit back and be like, okay, now I can digest that. And it was not abrasive. Yeah. And like, it's all, I really do think it's about story. It's like, and, and otherwise we, we do, we fixate on these smaller things. We, in focus, we would say major in the minors. Totally. And we do, we That's do, right. it drives me crazy. I'm becoming the world's most critical person. I repent of that. <laughs> Jesus, help me to repent because I'm so critical. But I just get so frustrated when we, people fixate on these things. That they're not wrong. They're almost, right. they're almost never wrong. The problem is they're just obsessive over these things that are not centerpieces. Um, but anyway, I was going to say like a great example of this um, is when Paul preaches in Athens. Um, and so... Um, Paul in Acts 17, he goes to Athens, which is the center of philosophy and wisdom in the ancient world. And he goes there to preach. Um, and he tells a story. Um, and so in Acts 17, 24, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. And he made from one, every nation of men to live on the face of the earth, having determined a lot of times, periods, boundaries of habitation. And here's, here's where it gets really good. He says that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him. Yet he is not far from each one of us. I'm going to skip a couple of verses here. Um, but Paul's going after idols, false of these statues and in verse 20 or verse 30, he says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Now, look, that could be moralism. Yeah. Paul's in, he's in Athens. He says, look, God sent me the message and he's commanding, not, he's not saying nicely. He's commanding everyone everywhere to repent. Um, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed. And here's the key. And of this, he has given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. And the, the point is that, that I was thinking about this a lot this week is like, when you accept the gospel, everything changes. Yep. And for Paul, Paul can command people to repent because everything has changed. And you hear this with people who go through conversions is that they say things like everything I once thought that mattered. It doesn't matter anymore. Totally. And I, Paul says that in Philippians three, and that's my story. My story is everything I thought that mattered, everything I thought was important. When I realized that Jesus Christ was on the cross for me and that the best thing to pursue in life was not wealth or comfort or pleasure, but it was the salvation of the world. Mm -hmm. Everything changed. And that's the same thing you talk about. You talk about yeah. the, the Forbes 30 for 30 thing. Yeah. Is that like ESPN's 20 for 20? <laughs> no. Right. What is it? 30 under 30? Is that what it's? Forbes 30 under 30. Yeah. 30 under 30. Yeah. Like we, when we get the story, when an event happens, I think with your, your niece, right? Like it, there is an art, like you said earlier to these things, but telling her to dress differently. When anyone tells me that I'm doing anything wrong, right? My first reaction with anything is like, what do you know? Right. Right. That's my, that, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, I'm like, but I bet most of us out there are like this. Right. Right. If, if the first time someone, if someone walks up to you and just says, Hey, uh, 
Yeah, you know that uh, talk you gave the other day? Uh, the Slosser Actions Utopia. Totally. And I'm like, I mean, my first reaction would be like, yeah, well, you're dumb. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad can beat up your dad. That's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so we got we to tell him the story about like, and there's a compelling story we have. And I just think that this ties everything together. And that's what Paul does is he tells the story of the crucified Messiah. Yep. And the crucified Messiah is not one who's, who saw it himself, you know? And so many of us, like, what do we do? We seek ourselves. Um, we do that in lots of different ways, but the crucified Messiah who loved me and gave himself for me, humbled himself. And when you get that story, it's just like Achilles and, um, or not like Achilles so much, but like Hector and King Priam who humble themselves for the good of others. You say, man, I want to be like that. Right. Right. I think it's, you know, we can't control how other people are going to react. We can only respond to how we can react and, and owning that. But I think it's a good scorecard when you're consistently beating your head against a wall, trying to convert someone and it's not working and this and that at some point you have to step back and be like, okay, why is it not working? Is it, maybe it's not them. Yeah. Maybe it is me. And what story am I portraying and how can I approach and show the story of Jesus in a way that will invite somebody in? Yeah. That subtle change. I feel like it's a lot of like, you just, you consistently beat your head against the wall trying to do it and you mean so well and then you start to like put the pressure of like well they need to just be surrounded by other catholics and blah 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 which may not be right yeah it's a matter of how you personally are showing up and i butcher this all the time there's no doubt about it. i'm not saying i i've got that figured out i have no idea but i do when i read these things and having fresh eyes and i come in and i'm like yeah well no wonder, because first thing I did when I showed up, someone told me I wasn't dressed appropriately. And then all of a sudden you get this and like all these examples of like, it's not that revolutionary, but how, what is the story we can be telling and focusing on that would invite people in to get to the point. And again, I'm not saying to water down the faith, but to get to the point to then teach the teachings. A story does it right. Like St. Jose Maria Escriva says, you should tell someone every day about a saint. Yeah. You know, and like, like for me, like I don't, the saints, like some, some people in our kind of circles, they love the saints who like never committed sins. Totally. totally. And like, I yeah. think, like, like what are you going to say? Well, I was going to say that, that was my hardest part coming in RCIA. Yeah. When I was sitting there and like Steph and I would be, we watched our, I'm serious. Every night we went home, I was like, so adamant. I was on fire and I was like, I'm going to find a saint. Yep. And then I'd watch this thing or read this thing on a saint. And they're like, yeah, when he was four, he ended the priesthood and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, no, well, <laughs> still a while ago, I was like heavily partying and doing that. That's definitely not my story. Like I, I just, it could not resonate at all. Cause I was like, that's not me. Like, I'm sure that I wish, but I didn't, no, the saints, and, and it's like the story of Jesus is the ultimate story. And that's why we need to study scripture and we need to know yeah. our faith well. But like St. Augustine is my favorite saint. He's so relatable. Yeah. Like he has this divided heart and he's always wrestling. He's like, and he had trouble with chastity. And I've had trouble with chastity in my past, yeah. in my life. And it was, and what people do is they, they think it's just all this legalism and this moralism. Totally. And when then, then you hear the story of Augustine and you're like, man, like 
This is a guy who was moving up in the world in high social circles. He was teaching Roman senators, their kids. Mm -hmm. He was te teaching them rhetoric, which is a big deal in the ancient world. And he's on the up and up and he's wrestling with himself and he throws it all away because he realized that God is the only thing worth pursuing. Totally. You know, and like, like another, I just, a couple of saying stories. Can we do a couple? Yeah, please. I'm like, I think of, so my, one of my middle names, do you know I have two middle names? Brian Patrick yes, is good. one and Brian. You don't have to say Brian again, by the way. Uh, why do I, I know this. I'm going to be so mad when you say this Colby. That's right. Yep. Colby, but it's not St. Maximilian Colby. Uh, people always think it is, but it's my dad's middle name and my paternal grandmother's maiden name. But, um, St. Patrick is one of my favorite stories. So St. Patrick is most likely from Scotland, which drives me crazy because I'm Irish. And yeah. Like, I want to totally, be Irish. Totally. But one of the cool things is he was like basically kidnapped as a young man, taken to Ireland, and he escapes later on, becomes a priest. He's even made a bishop, and he loved the people who kidnapped him. He loved the people who kidnapped him, and he believed that God had sent him with this amazing mission in life that he was a slave who was called to bring the gospel that sets people free. And he wanted to bring that even to the peoples of Ireland where he had been a slave. Right. And so he goes back to Ireland. And I mean, that is so inspiring, right? It's like, man, like I want to be someone with a mission who's like, and I think when we do this, a person on a mission stops talking about all the things they deserve to have. Totally. Our culture right now, the whole narrative is I deserve X, Y, and Z. This is my right. This is my right. This is my right. St. Patrick wouldn't do that. St. Patrick's like, you know what? I found out there's something way more important than all this stuff. I'll, I'll lose everything if I can be a part of that mission. Um, and one more that's just like that. One of my favorite saints. Do you know about St. Isaac Jogues? No. So St. Isaac Jogues and his companions, John de Brebeuf, um, which is a fun name, <laughs> um, French Jesuits who were the, they're known also as the North American martyrs. They came to the New World and short story of St. Isaac Jogues. They're both, John Ebert Booth is like unbelievably heroic. Gory martyrdom. He was, uh, he, they burned him at the stake. Uh, the Native Americans that captured him. And then he was so courageous. He suffered so well and so courageously that they ate his heart because, you know, uh, some, some Native Americans thought if you, if you ate that person's heart, you could get their courage. Wow. But anyway, but Isaac Jogues is so cool because what happened with him so he's evangelizing. They're just over there in, in the wilderness and they're trying to bring the gospel to these peoples of North America. And he's captured by another tribe. I think it was a Mohawks. And he's, he just goes through a lot of suffering. So they have him run the gauntlet, which is what they do. And so like you run the gauntlet and people just beat the crap out of you with yep. clubs and they throw rocks at you and whatever. And then he's, he's tied up and they uh, chewed off a couple of his fingers. Which I didn't. When would have that job? You know, Gosh. If, if, I think it was like the, the the younger Native American women. I'm like, man, that's a that's a tough assignment. They're yeah. Like, okay, go chew that guy's fingers off. Yeah. But anyway, he escapes. Long story short, he escapes through there's these Dutch traders, uh, not traitors, but with a D. Yeah. Tra like yep. Trader Joe. They're trading and they they facilitate his escape. He goes back to France, and he's a celebrity like instant celebrity, like 
uh, everyone in Europe is like, oh my gosh, this guy is basically a living martyr. The Pope says something like that about him. And he could live the rest of his life as a, as a famous person in Europe. And he begs, he had grown to love the peoples of North America so much. And he had a mission. And he was like, there's a story of the world where Jesus Christ redeemed all of us. And so Isaac Jogues goes back and he, and he purposely goes back to the Mohawks who had captured and tortured him. And he goes back to serve them and to proclaim the gospel to them. And he was eventually martyred. He was tomahawked from behind. But um, that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, we got to stop telling millennials and Generation Z and the iGeners, you know, like we got to tell them, we got to stop talking to them about morality all the time. We got to mm-hmm. get there eventually. But we don't start there. We got to stop just obsessing about moral issues. We got to say, hey, there's a story of the world. There's a God who loves you. And if you get it, you're going to change anyways. Totally. You're going to start living the law. You're going to say, you know what? I know I'm not supposed to be, you know, smoking meth or whatever. Like, they're going to know that. Okay. I talked way too much. Well, I want to thank you for your lighthearted, sane examples. <laughs> um, first and foremost. <laughs> Second of all, though, I, I, I do, I think that definitely shows the point, though, of the power of a story and why the saints are so it it's such an a, amazing witness to the yeah. faith and you and i've kind of joked about it briefly was like for me personally and phenomenal lady i love her blah 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 blah. but i don't know if i truly resonate with you know mother Teresa's story right and i i actually find to you to what you would kind of reference to i find the stories that it's like this guy struggled with his faith all of my own what yeah. what is resonating it's with relatable me? It's relatable. Yeah. I'm not walking the streets and, you know, it's phenomenal. It, that's great. Yep. That's not my day in and day out. And in fact, I actually struggle with these thoughts. I struggle with these temptations. I want to know that's the saint that actually overcame that and look up to them. Yeah. And that is the power when I think about this with my own niece and trying to make this practical. It's not about me going to her and saying like, boom, this is what you need to do. Yeah. It is taking the time to be with her day in and day out and just say, oh yeah, I was reading about this saint, blah, blah, blah. And we have such an amazing lineup of saints right. that if, and if someone like Jesus and being able to say these stories that it's like, yeah, okay, I may not resonate with having my fingers chewed off, but I do resonate with Augustine <laughs> and that struggle. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. That applies in my life. Now all of a sudden I have meaning. Yeah. And then I'm like, what do you mean? Why did, why would he leave such a high profile job? Like that yeah. seems crazy. Then all of a sudden you start asking questions. Boom. They've stepped in. And instead, when you look at all these scenarios of the nuns that are losing their faith, I, the biggest disconnect, and I think that's what we've got to today, that both you and I appreciate is the fact that we focus too much on out the gates morality and trying right. to revolutionize the world that way versus just having a relationship with each other to then demonstrate the relationship of Jesus. Amen, brother. Amen. And we need a we need a story that we're a part of. Uh, thanks everybody for checking in. Uh, rant at lordsdenver.org. L o u r d e s. Tell your friends about us. We want people to know the story of Jesus Christ and that their life has meaning. And uh, you know they have a they have a couple couple friends here over at Lords that uh, they can send questions to. And if you want a priest who's hopefully, hopefully relatable. Yeah. Um, and 
I, I, you know, just kind of piggyback on this whole concept today of like, that is the purpose of our podcast is yeah, email us, let us know. And I know, you know, we have quite a few that we need to get to. And we that is our goal, though, of let us help be a story that if you're struggling trying to have a conversation with somebody that you can just say, oh, man, I came across this cool podcast, listen to this, as opposed to like you trying to beat them over the head with some concept, right. let them just walk into it through us, we can help you. Um, it's like Jerry Maguire. Address some of that. Help me help you. I was help show, me. I was like, oh, okay. Well, show me, me the money. Show me the money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. God bless.